is this. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs, and let them take and lay it on the boil, that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Verse 12. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you, Father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Please be seated. And let's pray one more time as we approach God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we're walking in this world, and we constantly need uh, light, and we know the light comes from your word. So we thank you for this particular passage this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who will help us as we contemplate. We pray that uh, you will do your work in our lives today as we interact with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we had somebody who was very much alive and wanted to die, and God wouldn't let him. Here we have someone who's been told he's going to die and who very much wants to be alive. Think about the contrast. And I guess probably in our lives, maybe we've even found ourselves in both places at various times. 
But here is Hezekiah, and God has said, you are going to die. You've got some end-of-life issues going on here, and there are some things and some thoughts regarding this. When we were young, we may not have thought so much about our own deaths. Insurance companies back in the day, and they probably still do, but I heard the rates are higher for newer drivers. Part of that reason is they're, they're going to have more fender benders. But part of that reason, uh, insurance people have said, is because uh, younger people, they think they're going to live forever. Uh, how that song go? We were just young and restless and bored, living by the sword. Uh, we were just uh, hell-bent for leather. We were going to just do it, and, 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 and who cares? And, and we go through life in our younger days, uh, some of us, not even thinking about the end. I told one of my kids, uh, they started a job, and the job they were at matched their savings. I said, I'm going to tell you, you save $100 a month now, this corporation matches the 100 You're my age, you're a multimillionaire if things go. Think about that. And I said, I don't expect you to really think about it too hard because somebody told me the same thing, and I didn't think about it too hard then, but I think about it a lot right now. Um, think about that. Think about uh, being told you are going to die. No ifs, ands, or buts. Get your house in order. Hezekiah had that. What if God said the same thing to you this afternoon and you knew it was God? Are you ready? Is your house in order? Spiritually, are you ready for those words Prepare to meet thy God. I think about people who die suddenly and they don't have a chance to kind of clean things up. They don't have a chance to to set the stage. Somebody else has to. Hezekiah was told by God, you are going to die. You get ready. Branch of Christianity that I grew up in Uh, would always say, be ready, be ready, be ready. What they were talking about uh, mostly was the Lord's imminent return. I grew up in a group of people that taught about the, um, they were um, like classic American uh, dispensationalists, uh, and they taught about the instant rapture. They They would say things like this. They'd say, everybody turn around and look at that clock up there. By the time that second hand gets to the top, God could come. And the Christians are gone. Are you a Christian? Are you going to be gone? Or are you going to be here? And they sang songs like, uh, there's no time to change your mind. Uh, Lord has come and you've been left behind. You've been left behind. You've been left behind. They have a trail off. You've been left behind. I told you a story about this. I was in college at a chapel service. And we had one of those rip-roaring. And, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to ridicule that. I, I, I'm, okay, let me, let me come down right now and say... Um, I kind of tilt toward amillennial most days, but there are other ways. Uh, the, best, the best answer anybody gave me is, boy, you study it, but in the end, uh, I think it was, I heard it from MacArthur, but it was not original with him because I've heard it since. But he says, I'm a pan-millennialist. God's going to come back, and it's all going to pan out for the Christian. And that was the best, the best way I know to say it. But in this place, they really, and it was a chapel service, and all of us college kids, and it was kind of a strict college uh, anyway, and, and boy, this guy was a good speaker. And we thought, imminent. So then the college I was at, they made us have curfew. It was lights out. It was room check, uh, all that stuff. So by 1030, I think we had to be all in bed. Unless you were on a work crew. And the work crew, you know, somebody's got to vacuum the halls and polish the stairways and, and clean things and all that. So the work crew was, was awake. And there was a five guys on this work crew in our building, Ballard Hall. And four of them, at least one of them was a practical joker, and at least three of them liked to go along with it. So they sent some guy, poor Fred, 
whatever, I'll call him Fred, I don't remember his name. They sent Fred to get some supplies. And then they stripped down to their underwear. And they laid it at various places on stairways and, and things. And then they all hid in the bathroom. And Fred came back. He's just heard this massive sermon about God's going to come back and you're going to be left behind if you're not ready, if you're not saved. And there is the rapture. There's everything in all those apocalyptic books. And Fred came back and it's a wonder. <laughs> it's a wonder he didn't have a heart attack on the spot. And Fred is screaming and he's running into rooms and telling people the rapture has happened and they've been left behind. And uh, I think those guys got some pretty hefty demerits. Uh, but you, you think about that. Uh, in, in our life, uh, wherever you fall on that left behind and the rapture and the instantaneous, we know that life is the same way. It may not be Christ's return. You may not be the one that the scripture says are alive and remain that meet him in the air. But you don't know when your day is. Who knows when their day is? This man in the text had the privilege of having at least an advance warning. Then he got a reprieve from the Lord. And then he was told he had 15 years. And then he's like that guy in that Groundhog Day movie. He's invincible. God's promised him 15 years. And he's got 15 years to do something. And you think about that. None of us really get that either, do we? He made a foolish decision. He exited the world with his right relationship with God intact. And it's good for all of us this morning to contemplate Hezekiah's life. And, and, and think about it in terms of our own life and our own perspective. So we consider 2 Kings 20. I want to draw your attention to, to three thoughts or three statements that I'm going to make uh, that, uh, that, that we'll look at from the text. Uh, point number one, when you finish life on earth is solely in the hands of God. Number two, what you do with the intervening days between now and then has ramifications beyond yourself. And number three, which is also our application, if you are right with God, you can live with exhilarating freedom no matter what the circumstances. So get right with God if you're not. Number one, when you finish life on earth, is in the hands of God. And that's verses 1 through 11. Verse 1, it says, In those days, Hezekiah became sick. In those days. What are those days? Uh, what's been going on in the text? What happened? Well, Hezekiah was the king of God's people, Israel. These were days of national crisis. It's recorded in 2 Kings. It's also recorded in Isaiah one of the few narratives in Isaiah. This is an important text for us. Sennacherib was king of Assyria. He was taunting. He was threatening. He had been like a steamroller. Uh, just, you could say, the, the way the text describes it, blitzkrieging through these nations. And then he got up to Israel. And he was striking terror first. He had a campaign uh, using the media of that day to discourage people. And he was fake news and he was lying. But he was talking about all he was going to do to destroy God's people. And the public response that, Isaiah, uh, that, that Hezekiah and Isaiah gave to God's people was when he's yelling these things, do not respond to him. Hold the line. Don't let them draw you in. It's a, it's a culture of fear first. And then he's going to follow through. He's going to discourage you, God's people. And then he's going to wipe you out. And don't respond. There's a declaration of war that he sent. And Hezekiah, this is in verses 19, one chapter back. Uh, you can look at that if you'd like. It's one page back uh, in in verse 14, after Sennacherib sends these letters, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. It was a letter of war, a, a, a boast, 
a letter of annihilation. And Hezekiah received it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Not a bad idea to spread those things out. If you're going to get the paper anyway, um, why not use the paper as something that you pray over? You see a headline and it says, uh, Russia's going to war with Ukraine and, and gas is going to go to $7 here because of that. And you go, oh, I don't really care about those Ukrainians, but I care about my gas prices, uh, which shouldn't, shouldn't be our attitude, but, but uh, we should be praying for, for all the situations. But all of a sudden it hits home and you go, man, this is scary. Scary for them up there possibly facing war. Scary for us, uh, not able to, or not willing to, to produce our own. And, and, and what's going to happen? God, I'm not going to sit here in fear. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to see the name of this leader. I'm going to pray for this leader. I'm going to pray for this one. I'm going to pray for this one. I'm going to pray for that. Uh, you see the next story, and it says, inflation, all-time high. Uh, it hasn't been this bad since 40 years, and it's only going up. The difference between 40 years ago is, is at that point it was going down. This time it's going up. And you say, how am I going to eat? How am I going to pay for things? How am I going to do? Uh, spread that paper out before the Lord and pray. Well, we were in a, a jam. Just the, the, way, the way small churches go, we're not super ministries. and We're not, we're not good at uh, going out. We, we were in a jam financially. And one of our elders said, just like Hezekiah, spread the bank statements out before the Lord. Let's spread the bank statements out and pray. If you've got some financial issues in your house, that may not be a bad thing. Or if you sit down to pay your bills and say, I'm, I'm working on, on uh, getting out of debt, why not, before you sit down to, to look at your family finances, uh, begin that time not by making sure your calculator's here and you're logged into your bank account. Why not begin first by just praying, God, help me. Calm my heart if there's something in here that's going to be bad. God, help me. Help me to make wise decisions. If you're married, help me and my husband or me and my wife to, to make wise decisions that honor you and spread those things out before the Lord. Hezekiah did this in a time of great crisis. All of his people were there. He put that war document out there and he prayed. What did God do in response? Second, well, first of all, Isaiah came along and, and Isaiah was God's word at the time. Isaiah was the prophet. He, he couldn't turn to the book of Isaiah, but he could turn to Isaiah. But Isaiah came along and, and gave him, uh, gave him uh, reassurance from the Lord. And then God did this, verses 32 through 37 of chapter 19. The, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, 
Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon and his son reigned in his place. This is what was going on. Great national crisis. Heavy the head that wears the crown. And in those days, it says, in those very days, Hezekiah also had something going on on the home front. It's too bad we can't just separate our lives, okay? Now's my time to have a crisis at home. Now's my time to have a crisis at work. Now I'll have crisis here. Then I'll deal with world crisis and pray about that. Then I, can, then I think I can schedule in a crisis in my house. Uh, that's never been that way. It's, it's almost been like the way we found out when we were kids growing up. One car would break. You know, we're trying to, six kids and dad trying to, yeah, to, to keep us fed and, and, and mom trying to stretch the budget and mix in powdered milk with, with regular milk and, and uh, trying to, to make things last and, and uh, potatoes on Monday and potato soup on Tuesday and those kinds of things, just trying to make it go with six kids. And one car would break down and my dad would go, oh no, <laughs> when it rains it pours. And we just knew the next two were going to break and have to be out there lights trying to fix it and make it go. Uh, it just happens that way. That's life on earth. It's not life on heaven, but it's life on earth. And so Hezekiah had the one crisis going, and here comes the home crisis, and now the home front. He's going to die, and he doesn't want to die. He wants to live, and he prays. He could trust his prayers because he'd seen prayers be effective uh, before this. Verses 2 through 7. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, we would say, like at first blush, we would say, he's relying on some kind of a work salvation. He's trying to make a deal with God. I've been good, so you owe me. We would say that because that's what we tend to do. But the language here and the life that Hezekiah had lived shows that he's not doing that in this. He is just saying, listen, I'm your covenant uh, son. I'm, I've lived a, a life of, of, of faithfulness to you. And God, I, I, I don't understand what's going on. But he's not saying, save me because of my works. He is saying to himself, I'm, I'm God's. I don't understand this. I don't get this. And he is weeping bitterly. But don't make the mistake of thinking, God will not answer your prayer if you don't hit some high and lofty standard. Remember, as Christians, Jesus did hit the high and lofty standard. If you're in Christ, you come to Christ based on that. But he's coming as a, a covenant child of God. And he's talking to God. Now, God immediately says, okay, it's not going to happen. Now it's 15 years. Isaiah has delivered him the bad news. Isaiah is still in the court, it says. Isaiah gets turned around. Okay, now, here's where we don't understand. Because God said it is a firm thing. And then all of a sudden, he turns around. This presents a problem to many people. People that want to poke holes in the idea of God's sovereignty, this presents a problem. People who want to uh, say the Bible can't be true because this is contradictory. What's my answer to that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know this. God does not lie. Isaiah turned around. Um, I would say, uh, was God just messing with Hezekiah all the time to make him pray? Well, God doesn't mess with people in that way. God brings things and draws us to prayer. But there is no clear-cut human answer. That's okay. It's okay to say when it comes to the inner workings of God that, that, that God's business is God's business. That, uh, I, I've shared this with you. That old Alabama elder down at Pinewoods down in Pensacola uh, this, this is 
this has helped sustain me. He said this quite a bit in teaching class. It's all in the mind of God. It's all in the mind of God. And you can say that. It's above your prayer gate. You can't drag God in and, and, uh, and, and, and lay him on and, and cut him up and dissect him and say this vein connects to this one here and, this, and, and like you would do a, a carcass of a person. You can't diagram God to the nth degree like your English teacher did in ninth grade in, in, in diagramming the sentence. There are things about God that are a mystery that are above us. All we know from this text is God said to Hezekiah, get your house in order for you will die. Hezekiah wept and prayed and asked God for an extension and God said, here's your extension. What can we learn from this? I just say, well, (laughs) pray. What's wrong with that is is, is our simple lesson. Uh, That guy who said my deep theology on prayer is this, it's better when you pray than when you don't. So you pray. And God will do what God does. God is not inconsistent with himself, and God doesn't lie. And God gave life 15 years extra. What if God gave you 15 years? What if, what if God uh, didn't come to you this afternoon and said, you've got a couple days to live, get your house in order? God says, you've got 15 years. And I'm looking at my life. I'm going, you know, maybe 15 good years. If I'm like some of you, I'll, you in here, I'll get 25 good years. But if, if I'm like a normal person, I might have a good 15 to really, really, what, what, what do you do with it? God guaranteed you 15 years. You don't know if it's 15 years or 15 days or 15 minutes. You don't know. Hezekiah had the luxury of knowing. We don't know. Paul and I are headed down to New Jersey this afternoon. I may have just a few hours. Something may happen on the way there or back. If it does, you're all going to go, ooh, spooky. He called it. Uh, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You don't know. None of us knows. What do we do with the time that we have, though? Hezekiah did know. He had his 15 years. Told some of you guys, uh, told told some of you uh, back when I was the youth pastor, I was trying to impress on these 30 or 40 kids in the in somebody's living room, that we don't know. And I said, somebody in here will die first. Who will it be? Who will it be? It's going to be one of us in here, right? And trying to impress them. And they all pointed at me. (laughs) And I said, well, that would make sense. And if I had to put my money on one person, it would be me. I'm older. But I said, if I'm betting, I'm going to take the field. (laughs) I'm going to say it's one of you. Uh, Don't know which one. We don't know. We live uh, even even secular arena, popular songs. There's that country song, Live Like You Were Dying. That's got some biblical truth in it. God blowing his truth in that case through a silver trumpet. But we don't know. I know that Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add one hour to his life. King James language, one cubit to his life, but one hour, one, one measure of time. You can't worry yourself into any extra life. You can't, uh, you're fine. You are God's. Your life is in God's hands. So you take the life you've been given, and if he grants you life uh, and energy, and he's given you salvation, and you've got a an arena to live in. You've got some. You just do it, and you do it as godly as you can. When you mess up, you ask for forgiveness, and you get up the next day, and you do that as godly as you can. And let God take care of you and your results. You are God's. Seventh grade classmates, uh, Laura Plate, her brother Steve was eighth grade. He was in Kathy's class. Lost their dad. I don't believe it was a farming accident, but they were a farm family in that little Christian Reform school I attended. 
And for whatever reason in my life, I had never, ever heard, or at least it had never registered. All my Christian schooling, all the family devotions, somehow I had not heard this verse like I heard it until then when that family issued a statement. And I see Laura over there crying, and and they say, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they taught me something big about God's sovereignty in the way they accepted that death. How are you going to accept your death? Part of our world is absolutely nuts. Boy, what will you do to keep yourself alive? Can you anyway? Can you anyway? No, you do your best. You try and live healthy. You try and be a good steward of the body that God gave you. God uses physical means. Uh, the whole point about putting the fig uh, on the boil uh, was, 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 wasn't like a magical, mystical thing. That was medicine in those days. Uh, Isaiah said, here's the medical answer. And he gave that answer, and Isaiah was healed. That fig compress or whatever it was worked. But we understand our lives are in God's hands. You don't have to be petrified. The assurance that God gave Hezekiah is important in that we see God is capable and willing to give assurance to his people when they need it. Hezekiah had been told he was going to die. He believed it. He prayed. He was told now he had 15 years. And he, like the rest of us, okay, so how do I know, God? Can you give me a sign? Is it a sin for him to have asked that? I don't, I don't think so. I'll, I'll cut him a, a break from my perspective, and I think God did, because God didn't say, you shouldn't even ask that. Don't you believe me? God said, okay, I'll give you a sign. The shadow is going to go 10 steps forward or 10 steps back. Some people think that's a sundial based on the language. Some people think it's just the steps of a stairway. And where Hezekiah was laying in his sick bed, his deathbed, he's laying there. And God, we know that God said 10 degrees forward, 10 degrees or 10 steps back. Which is it? Now, if, if he had said 10 forward and boom, all of a sudden it had gone forward, that's a miracle. Okay, he did what, what yeah, I would do. It's an easy thing. It goes forward every day, and, and, and I, maybe a miracle is it goes forward faster. I'm going to ask you, God, to make it go backwards, because that doesn't happen any day. And lo and behold, it went backwards. Now, some people say that God uh, made time uh, stand still and made time go back. Uh, it's a possibility that all God did, all God did, was just with the light and the way it was reflected, reflected through the room. It might have been just a local time going back. The Bible doesn't say universally, but it could be it have been universal. Could God do it? I had this buddy, Muslim guy from Iran, and he had a big life thing happening to him, and he blew it big time. He blew it like, like you've never seen anybody blow it. And he would meet with me, and we would talk about Christianity, and we'd talk about our faith. And he said, I want you to pray, Pastor David. Pray that God will make time go back one week, and I can have a chance again at not blowing it. Pray that God will. And I said, you really want every single person. What about all the people that had good things happen to them? You want me to pray that that doesn't happen to them? And the, and what, are you, what are you praying? I said, that's... Is it, it's, no, pray that this will happen. He said, don't you think God can do it? And I told him about this instance in the Bible. And I said, God could do it, but I'm going to pray that God will do what's best for you. And, and I'm going to pray that he just gives you another chance in a different way. And I'm not going to presume on God, um, but God, if, if God wants to do it, God can do it. In this case, God either changed time for everyone, or God, at least we know for a fact, made that shadow go back. And it was enough reassurance for Hezekiah that God keeps his promises. 
what does it do for us? It reminds us that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And there are times when God does something and then there's a way that he just punctuates and we say that had to have been God. That had to have been God. That little reassurance, that had to have been God. I I never can forget, you don't see bumper stickers in Connecticut very much. You see them all, everywhere else, bumper stickers all over. I had a car and and uh, boy, I had Manchester United, I had St. Louis Cardinals, I had, all, I had my bumper stickers on my car. Uh, there was a person we knew who was going through the worst time in the world, a time where this person was questioning, does God even know that I'm here? Has God abandoned me? And this person got in the car to go to a court hearing that was going to be critical. And they were crying out, God, God, are you there? And they got behind a car they'd never seen before. (laughs) And on that car was a bumper sticker in Connecticut. And on that bumper sticker was John 3.16. And and they said, I had to look and see, is that an angel driving that car? God sent that John 3.16 bumper sticker up here just for me to see at that point in time to remember that God loved me and gave Christ for me and, and that person had calmness and assurance. And I can tell you, God works in ways like that. And God here with Hezekiah says, I'm gonna reassure you. You need reassurance? I'll give you reassurance. God, help me. Today's reassurance that we get, I would say, comes from our reading the scriptures and praying. We hear reassurance and we get reassured as we attend God's house and worship with God's people. And we have scriptures that come to mind and God in his Holy Spirit that indwells his believers brings these scriptures back to us. And that's that's the best way of reassurance. And you can get stuck on a, a verse. So memorize your verses. Boy, look at it, got got. Some of our kids here that are going to Christian schools and are homeschooled and they have Bible classes and part of those classes are to memorize Bible verses. Good. Every Bible verse you get to memorize. Uh, God can bring that back and use that. We say, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And there's a reassurance that comes that way. Hezekiah got his reassurance. So, uh, as, we, as we move through the text and pick things up a bit here, uh, What you do, second point, with your remaining 15 years or months or weeks or days or minutes has long-reaching ramifications that go far beyond yourself. Verses 12 through 20. Hezekiah receives these people from this rising kingdom or kind of a new bunch to them that Babylon is moving uh, in. And Babylon's going to have these things and, and there's... Just like today, people don't change and and, and leaders don't change. Power, 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 control, control, dominate, overtake, uh, capture this. That was going on. And so the king of Babylon sends these envoys to Hezekiah because they heard he was sick. Isn't that nice? And they sent him gifts. And they sent him letters. And the letters were not get well cards from the fifth grade class of Babylon or anything like that. What the letters were was him trying to recruit Hezekiah to his side as they go in. And Hezekiah, in a sinful, weakened state, did what we've all done, succumbed to the flattery and and the words, the gifts, oh, they care about me. And he said, I'd be a good partner for you. Look at my arms. Look at what I have in my storehouses. We're a rich country. You made a good choice when you're trying to recruit me into your little group of people, and he showed them everything. Famous strong king wants to be your friend. Ooh. Forget about God. Form your alliance. Uh, You read Isaiah's uh, prophetic writings, and you think of things like Isaiah... 30 and, and places like that. Woe to you that goes and makes an alliance with Egypt for strength. Woe to you. Don't run to this country. Don't run to that one. The word for us in our day is uh, 
there's very many things in this world that we can run to to form an alliance with and get strong with, we think. And he's saying, you watch out for the world. Make your alliance and your trust in God. That's a God, remember, who, who wiped out 185,000 and ended the war single-handedly. Boy, why did he do that? I'm sad that he did it. It's sin every time we do it. And you'd think Hezekiah would have known better. But there's no fool like an old fool, I guess, and, and he was an old fool here. He had 15 years to live and do something, and that's one of the things he did. Scripture warns us, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Who saved you? God saved you. How did God save you? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. That's your God. That's your deliverer. Your salvation is on a spiritual level above all of this earthly stuff. Why then turn back? This is Paul saying to the Galatians, You've seen Christ crucified with your own eyes. Why turn back now uh, to the, 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 the work salvation and the I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to find this husband or this wife or this company or this uh, lottery ticket or whatever it is that we turn to and we think is our, is our answer. God saved you. Is there a stronger Savior than God? No. Is there anyone who will love you more than God loves you? No. So don't run back to Egypt. Don't get too big for your britches when they come to flatter you and coerce you. Don't think you're going to form some worldly alliance with some worldly Babylon and be okay. Uh, Mistake. And Isaiah came and said, who was that Babylon? What would you show him? Everything. He says, your kids are going to pay a price for your sin along with the rest of the people who are going to be taken away. Understand none of us sins in a vacuum. And so, that's the word. It wasn't the only word. Hezekiah, that's not the only thing he did in those 15 years. He did good things. He brought water in. He did that. Now there's a response. And here's a question. Here's a question. What did he say? Let's get the wording exactly right. What did he say when he heard uh, this pronouncement? That after he was gone. Uh, This is interesting. He said in verse 19, uh, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. What did he mean by that? Well, the same thing we mean. Whatever our God does is right. We sing it. God's word is good. God's pronouncement is good. It's hurtful. There's consequences for sin. He said the word of, that you've spoken is good. And then he, it says, for he thought, why not if there will be peace and security in my days? And everybody goes, what a selfish guy. And part of us, you know, we say, man, I'm glad I lived when I did. I'm glad I got to see baseball in its earlier form, and I wish I had seen baseball back. I wish I'd seen all, all the ones that Gordon got to see instead of now in its slick uh, format and everything. I like it even now, uh, but boy, I would have loved to have seen it then. And people say, well, at least I got to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave when it really was free. Now I just read about it. What's his response? It can be seen as a callous, selfish, even terrible response. But I want to give you an alternate understanding of this. I'm going to align myself with John Calvin here and say I tilt, I tilt this way on this. Um, uh, Calvin and others say we're getting Hezekiah wrong because we are assigning motives to actions. If I said it the way Hezekiah said it, I'd be saying... Well, sorry, kids, you've got to live in enslavement to this one-world tyranny uh, conglomerate and whoever's pulling whatever strings and all that. I'm sorry, but I'm glad at least I got to be free. 
Well, that's not what he was saying. Didn't Hezekiah see, had he not just seen, that there's a declaration from God and that with prayer, God can change that declaration? I don't think Hezekiah saw that as final. What he would have seen as final is if Babylon comes in right now and, and does those terrible things. He said, there's time. There's time to pray. I, I, you know, wouldn't die for it. But I kind of think that's his mindset at the time. And it's like this old story. There was a guy who got on the wrong side of, of the king of his land. And the king said, you are sentenced immediately to death. And they're getting ready to execute this guy. And the guy says, king, 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 wait a minute. He says, I want to make you a promise, king. If you let me live in one year, I will make that horse you are sitting on laugh. King said, what? Give me one year. I will train your horse to rear back and laugh the loudest, humanist laugh you can ever find. King says, you can't do that. He says, give me one year, and I'll make your horse laugh. The king says, you've got one year. And if this horse isn't laughing in a year, you're dead. They go back and the guy says, why would you make a promise like that? That horse can't laugh. And the guy says, well, the king may die. I may die in the course of a year. Or the horse may laugh. Time. And I think Hezekiah was saying, okay, wow, God, I've done something that have really messed up my people, but you and your mercy... There's time. And I bet he turned back to prayer. And it talks about the good things he went on to do. Final point. Time to get to the table. Final point, which is more like a summary application. Here it is. I'll read it. If you are right with God, you can live with exhilarating freedom no matter what the circumstances. So get right with God if you're not. That's the side you want to be on. You want to be on God. You want to be where God is. If you're not, uh, sorry for you. Bad choice. Bad choice. Hezekiah went on to improve. He did in his 15 years. He brought the conduit of water into the city. Uh, what did he, would you do with 15 years? They said to Martin Luther, what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming back tomorrow? And he said, I'd plant a tree today. Think about that. Scripture tells us to take our 15 years or whatever it is and redeem the time because the days are evil. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is still called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Heaven's coming. But while you live in today and you're in time, uh, heaven, you're outside of time, you're in eternity, here while it's still called today and you have a day, do something good with your day that, that, that promotes God. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So say, I'm going to start investing. I'm going to die soon. i got 15 years. I'm going to invest. But my investments won't be on earth for, for somebody to take them away because uh, they'll either waste it or, or take it because my, my kids are the wrong belief system or whatever. I'm going to just... I'm going to invest in heaven. Work on those spiritual investment. Closing. I know a man who says, I don't think I even have three years to live. I got about three years, maybe. He's lived for God all of his life. But all the things that seemed to interest him before, you could buy him nostalgic old TV shows to watch and, and and that was fun. You could get him a model car of the first car he owned with his paper route money, and that was interesting. 
that stuff as he gets older and, and, and sees heaven uh, right up close. That kind of stuff, the shininess of that, even the nostalgia doesn't seem to, um, to move him like the spiritual things do. He and his wife spend more time reflecting on scripture these days and praying for the kids and grandkids and praying for unsaved friends who also don't have long to live. When they go to restaurants, they really take an interest in the person waiting on their table. They talk, they share, they they talk about God, they leave those little gospel tracts along with the tip. His wife of 60-something years has the same deepening eternal perspective. They don't even have time anymore to beat themselves up for the ways they wish they had done things different with investments or with kids. Uh, They're looking to heaven. The woman still reads her Bible every day and reads it through every year. She's done for decades. And now on the Christmas cards and the birthday cards, even to the ones who aren't Christians, she writes, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And my question for me and you is what are we, what am I, what are you doing with the years that God has chosen to give life to you on this earth while Christ finishes construction on the place he's preparing for you in heaven. And the message today from Hezekiah and his life is that. Put it in perspective, Christian. That's what we can do. And what a joy to be able to do it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this incident and for what we see of you in this incident. And help us, Lord, use us to remind each other of what's eternal and important and what lasts. Lord, give us strength, give us wisdom. Uh, Thank you for your promise of forgiveness. And what we probably feel like we can blow it even worse than Hezekiah did with Babylon. And we thank you for time and not that instant judgment and that opportunity to pray and call on you. And we thank you that you are a loving, listening God. Thank you for Jesus who made all of this uh, possible when it was out of reach for us dead people. We thank you that we get to be Christians in this world at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.